Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, October 20th. It's just moments away, but before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. I've seen a whole lot of catfish. The Chicago Federation of Labor sponsors. I've seen a whole lot of catfish. The Chicago Teachers Union, our sponsors. I, um... Right now... What's that, um, Jesse Sharkey? All right. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of cannabis to smoke, eat, drink... All kinds of information about marijuana and so much more. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Subscribe. Uh, go check it out. Find it in a newsstand and check out columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. It is Wednesday, October 20th, and live from my apartment and his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson, and it's the long-awaited return of Casey. No, not Kelly Cassidy. Keena Collins. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Rom on the Hot Seat Wednesday, and here's why. Because he's on the hot seat. That's why Rom, being Rahm Emanuel, former mayor of the city of Chicago. Right now, I think he's still uh, testifying or answering questions, softballs put to him by various senators. His confirmation here. We all know he's going to get it. Well, I heard he took a nice little bike ride in between. I just biked around Lake Michigan. <laughs> right in the, at the recess. He went a thousand miles. Nobody asked him about health care. That's one reason alone, ladies and gentlemen, the Dems shouldn't prove Rahm Emanuel. He was against national health care. I went to Michigan. No, Wisconsin. Nobody asked him. I think it was Michigan now that I think about it. Nobody asked him. Ah, what a fraud Rahm Emanuel is. Mayor of the city of Chicago for eight years. Ruled the city of Chicago as though he were Mitt Romney. And Democrats are rushing to him. I, I don't get it, D. I don't understand it. I will never understand my Democratic Party. The people they embrace. Wow. I know, I know. You're going to say, oh, Ben, it's supposed to be a big party. And we have to tolerate people who aren't like you. Okay? So it's got to be people who are to the right of you. That's how you win. But there's tolerating people who are to the right of you and then tolerating people who just take two middle fingers and put it in your face. Like that fan did to Aaron Rodgers in the end zone on Sunday, prompting Aaron Rodgers to say, I still own you. A little sports reference there, D. Anyway, Rahm Emanuel made it clear that he could not stand lefties. He could not stand radicals. He had just utter contempt for unions. Sat Karen Lewis down and told her, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to fire teachers. I'm going to privatize schools. And you're going to like it. Karen Lewis said, no, I'm not going to like it. 
You go, we're here to teach the children. He goes, that 25% of those kids won't amount to anything. So why would we waste our money on them? That was Rahm Emanuel. That was the man you elected twice, Chicago, as your mayor. Now, I understand that there is no Democrat in the country who's going to vote against Rahm Emanuel's confirmation uh, as ambassador just because Rahm closed schools, closed clinics, took money that should be going to poor neighborhoods and spent it on rich neighborhoods. I understand that there's the way the Democratic Party is set up right now. There's not one Democratic Senate, maybe Bernie, maybe Bernie, who would vote for Rahm just because Rahm acted like a Republican. I understand that. I understand that I'm on the fringes. I understand that, ladies and gentlemen. But bearing evidence of murder, I would think you might get one or two Democrats to take a stand on that. And we all know he did it. We're all pretending like he didn't do it, right? We're all pretending like he didn't do it, even though we all know he did it. It's so classic Chicago. Chicago, like you talk to a Chicago in a bar or a restaurant. Yeah, this is how it goes. And they'll tell you exactly what everybody knows. Rom buried that evidence. There was footage on tape. Jason Van Dyke shooting LaCombe McDonald 16 times for no reason. And Rom said, uh-uh, here's what you do. You pay off the family with a $5 million settlement and you bury that tape, that footage, so it never sees light of day, and we forget the whole thing ever happened. Well, we all know it didn't work out that way for Ron. We all know. Yes, it was not an issue in the 2015 run for re-election because he successfully buried it. He was afraid, of course, obviously. We all know this, that if that footage surfaced while he was running against who did he run against? Just blanked on my name. Jesus Garcia, <laughs> Chewy. If that tape surfaced while he was running against Chewy Garcia, it might undercut him. So bury it. I personally think he would have benefited by it, but whatever. He would have done the right thing. So the tape stayed concealed. No one saw it. And it was only because about six months later, activists persisted and got a Cook County judge to rule that Rahm had to turn it over, that he released it. And then we saw what he was concealing. And eventually, Jason Van Dyke went to prison for murder. I believe, and I think most Chicagoans would also agree with me on this, even if they don't state it out front, that had that Cook County judge not forced Mayor Rahm to release that video, it never would have been released. And there wouldn't have been any punishment of Jason Van Dyke. I believe that. They said, oh, well, we're investigating. The shooting occurred in October of 2014. It was over a year later, and the investigation was still going on. And isn't it funny? Once that video was released, that's when charges were finally filed. So, folks, we all know what's going on. And all Chicagoans know it's true. But you just want to look the other way. Here's a quote from Tim Kaine. I want to thank you, Frank, for sending this to me. Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia ran as Hillary Clinton's running mate in 2016. You can't be a mayor of a city without picking up scars along the way. Wow, wow, wow. Picking up scars along the way? You're that's what you, how you refer to concealing evidence of a murder? 
Yeah, it'll get confirmed. We all know he's going to get confirmed. Right now, uh, just like I said, I don't think any senators have actually said they're going to vote against him, any Democratic senators. It's a 50-50 tie, so even if Bernie does vote against them, and maybe Elizabeth Warren, I don't know. There are already enough Republicans to vote for him, which is interesting. The Republican love for Rahm Emanuel. There's not this. You know, it's funny. Rahm was chief of staff to Barack Obama. He's not loved, Barack Obama, by Republicans. Somehow or other, Rahm's loved by Republicans. Rahm was a top aide to uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton are not loved by Republicans. But somehow Rahm is loved by Republicans. Rahm's the Teflon mayor. Teflon Rahm when it comes to Republicans. Anyway, city of Chicago. And we're still struggling, by the way, with issues of police brutality and issues of police relations with the black community. Still struggling with it. Rahm, Rahm Emanuel didn't even confront these issues until the very end of his term tenure as mayor. He was in office for like seven years. But the last thing on Rahm's mind was crime, police relationships with black community. It was the last thing on his mind. He was using Chicago as his, his launching pad, something bigger and better. It didn't really work out that well for him. And now he's going to have to settle for what? The ambassador in Japan. I predict he'll get it. But shame, shame on the Republicans. We got a great show today. Monroe Anderson will be joining us. He should be here right now. I wonder where he is. Uh, every Wednesday, Monroe joins us. And uh, Keenan Collins. Uh, Keenan Collins is running for Congress uh, in the 7th Congressional District against incumbent Danny K. Davis. Keenan's been on the show a few times. Enjoy talking to her. She's running at Danny Davis from the left. So this is an interesting uh, situation. Uh, Democrats right now are trying to figure out what to do with the congressional maps in the state of Illinois. Probably get into this with Keena Collins. Uh, the story's been breaking for a while. It's got me shaking my head. My beloved, Repu- my beloved Democratic Party, just incapable apparently of getting the job done uh, when it comes uh, to drawing a map. So the whole point, look, if we had a perfect situation, we all know, we would do maps that were set up uh, by nonpartisan groups. You could have a computer draw map in such a way just to equally distribute the population so that, you know, really not advantageous to Republicans or Democrats, just let the chips fall where they may. Maybe we'd have more moderate types who didn't appeal to the far extremes of each party. You know, maybe we would have uh, Republicans who weren't all uh, uh, MAGA heads who aren't all being forced to uh, bow down to Donald Trump. Might, we might have that. But the Republican Party insists on gerrymandering. They're doing it throughout the country, and they're doing it to maximize their advantage. So here in Illinois, where the Democrats are in charge, my attitude has always been a very pragmatic one, I think. Divide the map so that you damage uh, the chances of Republicans to win and maximize the advantages of Democrats. Yes, play the game the way the Republicans play the game. And now it turns out that the first draft of the map uh, that the Illinois uh, legislators have come up with, the congressional map I'm talking about, of the 17 districts uh, in Illinois, Monroe Anderson has joined us, ladies and gentlemen, Monroe Anderson has joined us. Uh, The first draft of that map does not really maximize the Democratic advantage. In fact, uh, it may have damaged Marie Newman's chance of getting reelected, may have damaged Lauren Underwood's chance of getting reelected. I'm like, my beloved Democrats, do you not know how to play the game of politics? 
Have you learned nothing? Absolutely nothing for the last 30 years? You draw a map, you're supposed to hurt the Republicans. You draw the map and you hurt Democrats. I'm all fired up and upset about this. Irritates me to no end. So I'm going to bring in a calming, a calming source in my life. Great Monroe Anderson who calms me down. By the way, Monroe, you're looking very good. I think you got a haircut. Yeah, finally. <laughs> Monroe is looking a little hippie-like for the last... <laughs> yeah. you, I, 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 I was trying to bring the, the, the 70s back. God bless the 70s, man. I love the 70s. You know, what's funny. I I had a, I wrote a column about uh, the Reader's 50th anniversary, and it's just in the middle of it. I just, I just started uh, reminiscing about the 70s because that's my first article I ever wrote for the Reader's back in the 70s. That's how old I am, Monroe. What a great decade that was. Anyway, let's not uh, spend our time, Monroe, uh, reminiscing about the 70s. Let's get, let's get right down to the topic I really wanted to get your thoughts on. Well, uh, we'll just start off with uh, Colin Powell. The general died, uh, what was it? Was it yesterday, Monroe? I've lost track of time. I think it was day before. Day before. Yeah, yeah. day before. You're right. Uh, so much to talk about this on many different levels. He actually died as a consequence of COVID, uh, which the Republican reaction to that is just just goes to show you why, in my humble opinion, you should minimize Republicans' uh, power in the state of Illinois, their reaction to uh, Colin Powell's death on the COVID front. Uh, I think we should minimize it nationally. (laughs) We don't want to limit it to Illinois. Yeah, uh, I agree with you on that point. Although we, but in Illinois, we, the Democrats have the ability to do some minimization. We'll be talking about the congressional map with Keena Collins a little bit when she comes on. Um, but uh, let's also talk about the mixed legacy of Colin Powell uh, in the aftermath. When, since he's died, uh, many uh, centrist columnists like your old friend Clarence Page, uh, many right columnists like uh, Brad Stevens of the uh, Washington, uh, the New York Times have been just lionizing uh, Colin Powell and for the the life he led, et cetera, and so forth. What's your um, your take on the life and legacy of Colin Powell? I, I, I liked Cole, Colin Powell. I mean, he for what he represented and what he went through. Um, if, if, if you stop and think about it, he was born in 1937. When he was born, uh, the army was still segregated. So, you, so and, and these series of firsts that he managed to do, it's very impressive. However, uh, going into Iraq when he he lied about the um, the the yellow what was that stuff the yellow something that that was that that could give um, Saddam radium yeah that we could make yeah, the, the, the bomb yeah 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 now apparently the C, uh, the CIA lied to him about it. But he should have been a little more questioning, I think, because that was a big lie. And the thing is, he since then he 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 regretted telling that lie, but he didn't particularly apologize 
or say, uh, you know, for telling the lie to the Iraqi people, of which uh, at least 100,000 died as a result of it, uh, probably more. And and so he has a, he has a mixed, you know, I mean, he um, he could have been the first black president. Clinton was scared to death that he would run against him because he would have beaten Clinton out. Uh, but he chose not to run. And, uh, he gave some some uh, public reason, but one of the rumors that I heard uh, was that his wife Alma had some uh, emotional, psychological problems, mental problems, periodic, you know, not for their head. And anyway, they they decided that he shouldn't run because as a presidential candidate, all that would come out. And it would be something tough for her to deal with. And, well, and, and of course, the other thing you got to give him credit for is he he went with Obama as a Republican. Against John McCain in 2008. Yeah, and he and John McCain were friends. Yeah. I Two things that, uh, that you uh, hit on, and we'll, I, I'd like to come back to them, uh, both of them. One, of course, is the role he played. Uh, in uh, preparing this country to invade Iraq. Very significant role. Uh, without Colin Powell, I don't know if there had been much, uh, as much support for the war as there was. Right. It would have been, the opposition would have been limited. Uh, well, it largely is limited to lefties like me. Um, but So we'll get into that. But you said something, and I wrote it down. <clears throat> a series of firsts. And... <clears throat> He's a, he's a little older than you, Monroe. Finally, we have someone who's older than you. Right, exactly. Uh, By two years. He, yeah, he's much years. older than, than I am than I am of you. So, yes. Right. Uh, Monroe likes to remind me of that from time to time. Yeah, he's not that much older than me. You, you uh, <laughs> But Monroe, so follow me on this one. Okay. But you, even though he's 10 years at least older than you, yeah. uh, you have a sense of the world he grew in. And he... That, uh, he, he occupied. Right. And I just have to think about like what a man like Colin Powell had to endure. Right. Being like the only black guy at the Ford white house, at the Reagan white house, you know, the Bush white house, maybe yeah. uh, Condoleezza Rice, but it was let in. So they let Condoleezza Rice in, but just a sense of being, you people talk about the first, what did a black man, in the 70s, in the 80s, have to endure being the one black guy, or maybe the most significant black man, right. in an all-white environment? Um, I personally have been the first twice in my lifetime. I was um, the first black hired at the National Observer in 1970. It was a Dow Jones publication. And when I say the first, I mean, there was no black janitors, no black secretaries, no black nothing but me. And then the other first was I was the first uh, black reporter from a major newspaper to cover City Hall. And I, I say that be, to 
say that being the first is not an easy position to be in because there are all sorts of adjustments being made. And um, because you're the first, um, you encounter a lot of people who um, didn't occur to them that you should be there or anybody like you. And um, they aren't very helpful to you. And sometimes they work to undermine you. So, So his being in a Republican administration and obviously being used to some extent. It was a way by having Colin Powell, they could prove that they weren't racist. But he he maneuvered through it brilliantly. I mean, he he he, he really did. And that takes a certain type of black person to do that, uh, because those of us who um, aren't as desensitized or artists go along to get along, shall we say, uh, is, is, is very challenging. And, well, and obviously he was talented. I mean, he, you know, he had these two great um, positions that um, shows what a brilliant tactician he was. The, the, um, the if you break it, you own you, it. Yeah. You, you buy it. Yeah. And the other one was uh, you don't go into a big war without an exit strategy. You go in, you need to have a strategy to get out. And those, those, those are sort of known as the Powell doctrines now. And they are very sensible. They're very good. And too bad. Uh, they never follow them. I know. I, it's funny. They're, they may be they so sensible. Follow Nobody them. follows them. Right. Well, you know, just like Eisenhower talked about the the military-industrial complex. Yeah. It's it's last time I checked, it's still doing quite well. (laughs) No, nobody listens to generals when they're, like, cautioning against more war. Right. You know, but, yeah, he he advised, you know, if you break it, you own it. And uh, what the notion is, if you destroy the country that exists, uh, the government that exists in Iraq, then you're going to be responsible for the chaos that ensues. Right. And Bush and Cheney went in anyway. They didn't right. listen to him. Right. It, which makes me wonder about how much influence he had. Uh, and I got to go back to your, your, your first uh, point, which I'm going to take issue with. You said, and a lot of people have said this, you're not the only one, that he would have been the first black president in 1996, had he run against uh, Clinton. I'm not certain he would have gotten a Republican nomination, Monroe. Yeah, he would have. He you would have. He would have gotten a Republican nomination? A, a, certain amount of the, a certain amount of black vote. Uh, but to get the Republican nomination, you have to win in the Republican primary. Yeah. And that would require, if you're going to be dependent on uh, black people voting, you would need black people to vote not Democrat, not yeah, no, he would have gotten. You know, he would he would have gotten. He was a general, and he was very popular. He would have he he would have gotten the Republican nomination. That's how popular he was. He, he, at least if you're going to go with the polling, now it might have been a Bradley poll, 
<laughs> I, I don't think he'd have gotten it. I'll tell you why. I mean, I'm thinking of all the issues. In 1996, we were already two years into the Newt Gingrich revolution. Uh, so the crazies had pretty much taken over the Republican Party. Uh, there was the issue of choice. What would his position been on abortion rights? I could just see him getting caught in that with the uh, the right to life crowd in the Republican Party controlling the shots. Pretty much every every Republican presidential candidate has had to uh, make a proclamation of being against abortion, which is hilarious when it comes out of the mouth of Donald Trump. What right. he is, you know, Monroe, yeah. come on. I, 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 I'd love for somebody to leak how many abortions he's paid for his life. Or force people to undergo without right. paying them, because that cheapskate, yeah. you know, it hurts to him to go in his pocket. Right. But uh, This is true. You know, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I hear what you're saying. In a, If it was one on one, Colin Powell versus Bill Clinton. I think Colin, I think you're right. I think Colin Powell would have defeated Bill Clinton. Right. Uh, I would have been tempted to vote for Colin Powell over Bill Clinton in '96. Uh, but uh, so anyway, they neither here nor there. It's sort of like Mario Cuomo, you know, uh, or Bobby Kennedy. Uh, we could go way back in time. Bobby Kennedy in '68. People assumed that he would have beat Nixon had he not been killed. I don't know if he would have be. I don't know if he would have won the nomination against Hubert Humphrey. You know, uh, well, I, I think I think he would, I think he would have beat beat Humphrey and Nixon. I don't know. It's 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 a hard one to say. You got to look at. Remember, it's electoral victory. He would have had to come up with and. Uh, George Wallace was in the race, so who knows? That's why, that's why he would have won, because George Wallace would have did talk up a lot of the crazies. Yeah, George Wallace took the Southern vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then, of course, Mario Cuomo, uh, everybody, after his speech at the Democratic Convention in 1984, people were saying, run, Mario, run. He, you can win. You can win. And he ultimately, like Colin Powell, decided not to run and I don't know if he would have won. Yeah, and with with Mario, um, the explanation was um, why Trump never should have run. <laughs> Mario had spent all that time in the New York real estate business, yeah. <laughs> and there are no versions of New York <laughs> real estate. No, not a one. <laughs> so uh, there are no there are no virgins in New York real estate, and there are no virgins in Chicago politics. Uh, all right, and uh, finally, let's go back uh, before we bring on. Uh, we're going to reach out to Keena Collins uh, to bring her on. She's running against Danny Davis in the seventh congressional district. Uh, we'll broaden the conversation a little bit. But Moreau, let's get back to um, the uh, the contention uh, about his legacy leftover from uh, his speech, the United Nations. And I was listening last night to an interview he gave, I think it was with Larry King, uh, about three or four years after that speech. And he realized that that speech was going to uh, mark his legacy. Yeah. And he realized he'd been used by Cheney and Bush. Right. Uh, And I think he regretted that he didn't just walk away. You know, and at least yeah. because he walked away, uh, first of all, on a personal level, he would have his integrity. On another level, I don't know if, well, they still would have launched the war. They would have found somebody else to go make that speech. Yeah, no, uh, 
Bush wanted to go in there because Saddam had put out a hit list on his father. And so it was up close and personal as far as he was concerned. And Cheney wanted to go in because Cheney likes shooting people and things and bombing people and things. And <laughs> why have all that power and not use it? That was Cheney's opinion. Yeah. A mad male, lunatic uh, Cheney. And uh, I, I, uh, I think that Colin Powell, let's put it this way, uh, in the end, the Republicans, you know, Donald Trump used Colin Powell uh, to, this is so weird to think about, uh, Monroe, uh, to uh, win over MAGA people. You follow what I'm saying, Monroe? Uh, he, he used Colin Powell. He was like Colin Powell endorsed Hillary Clinton and Colin Powell endorsed Joe Biden. And uh, Trump's response was, who cares? This is the guy who brought us into war. Right. Which is so bizarre. All of a sudden, Donald Trump, of all people, who I don't recall ever opposing a war, was trying to look like he was the peace candidate uh, in regards to Colin Powell. Trump, Trump was all over the map when it came to wars. You know, uh, he didn't believe in participating, for example. But if there was some way that he could make a buck off of war, become a prof, a profiteer, he would have taken it. I mean, he has a, he has Trump has no moral compass, yeah. no patriotic compass. Yeah. It's his. his his arrow always points towards gold. You know, in fact, I don't, to this day, I don't really understand why people didn't um, com- compare him to Goldfinger. Because he, he, from the James Bond movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, right, right. I mean, because he was a lot like that character. The Goldfinger character, the one, uh, wait a minute, are you thinking of the Goldfinger? Or Dr. No, Goldf- which one he- No, Goldfinger. Goldfinger um, uh, uh, came up with a scheme to um, get all the money. Oh, yeah. Yep, you're right. I see correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all right, we're going to enough talk about uh, James Bond movies. We're going to bring Keena Collins into the conversation. Keena Collins is running uh, for Congress uh, in the Democratic primary uh, for in 2022. God, it's right around the corner. Uh, against Danny K. Davis, uh, who has been the congressman from the 7th Congressional District, I want to say since... 97. Yep. I was going to say 98, but you you beat me to it, Keena Collins. So, uh, uh, first of all, welcome back to the show. And I think the first time you came on my show was a Wednesday, and Monroe Anderson was on it as well. So, you know Monroe. Uh, so it, I, I am familiar with Monroe being on your show, but this is not the same person I'm thinking of. Who's the other guest that you always bring on? Uh, there's, I know it could be one of many, um, but I thought it was Monroe. But Don't uh, worry, I have his name by the end of this. It was another. Sergio? It could, it could have been Sergio, uh, <laughs> but it was in the studio. It was the, the first time Keeney came on, it was in the uh, Suntime Studios when we were still at the studios uh, before COVID uh, sent us away. All right. Uh, Kina, you have some news. Uh, when uh, you announced that you were running against Danny Davis, you ran against him last uh, last election cycle. Uh, he was victorious. 
and then you announced you were running against him in this uh, cycle. Uh, and you're running at him basically from the left, as I like to say. Uh, Justice Democrats has endorsed you. Uh, so you're going to be Chicago's AOC uh, <laughs> if you are victorious. And um, uh, people said, oh, she can't. You can't beat an incumbent Chicago Democrat. You can't beat an entrenched congressman. Well, one thing you can't out fundraise him. Well, I guess you got a little news in that front, Keena Collins. So why don't you break your news? Go ahead. Yeah. You know, first, I'd like to say thanks so much for having me back on, Ben. It's always great to be back. Monroe, you don't know, but I actually went to high school with Ben's daughter, Hannah. We always tell people that every time we uh, <laughs> we're on. Um, but. Yeah, I came in second to Congressman Davis in the 2020 primary, and we're back again. We've been the only candidate to announce, and uh, we've out-fundraised Congressman Davis twice um, in a row. In the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, um, I mean, excuse me, the second and the third quarter, and now we're in the fourth quarter, and uh, we hope to do it again. Um I'm not taking a dime of corporation money, um, but I would like to say, I don't think you can run too far to the left to Congressman Davis. And I don't necessarily think that that is what this race is about. I think it's about exploring a new vision for the West side of Chicago. And I think the person who can fulfill that vision is, you know, um, someone who is an Austin native, which is the largest and most marginalized community um, in the district. All right, excuse me for putting you uh, into a leftist category uh, where, where I live. Uh, did you, did you gra- graduate from Whitney Young? No, she's Von Steuben. Von Steuben. Oh, Both okay. Panthers. Yeah. My oldest daughter went to Von Steuben. Oh, okay. And uh, as she, uh, I think uh, she's a couple years older than Kina, and I believe she was like her gym. She was a PE leader, and she never... <laughs> She never gave me any 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 flack. That is hilarious. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah was in the African American club too, so <laughs> and she was well coached. Yeah, I have photographic evidence of her in kente wrapped in kente cloth in Black History Month. <laughs> that's hilarious. Man. Uh, she is now a mom, by the way. That's why I was in California because she just gave Yay. birth. I'm a grandpa. How about that? Uh, all right, let's get down to this. So uh, you talk about your vision for the West Side and that uh, you're better suited, in your humble opinion, Kina, uh, to represent uh, the West Side uh, than Danny Davis, who's been representing the West Side for many, many years uh, before he was a uh, congressman. He was a county board member. Before that, he was an alderman. So why do you think you're better re- suited to represent the West Side than a man who's been representing it since the 70s? Go ahead. I think that when we look at the average age of the Illinois 7th Congressional District and even in the remap, um, the average age is about 34 to 35. And that's not the average voting age in the district. But what it speaks to is um, also, you know, our voting index, which is how the nature of the district votes. We are a D plus 37, which means that we vote 37 points above the Republicans. This is the deepest, darkest, bluest district in all of the delegation, and it is one of the youngest. And so um, with that being said, you know, when I look around at what's happening um, in Austin, in Inglewood, in Back of the Yards, in North Lawndale, East Garfield Park, all of these neighborhoods are in the district. 
district, I, I think we can do better and we could be better than where we are. Um, our campaign is running a people power grassroots campaign. Um, I've sworn off once again, those corporation money um, from the campaign. And that it, that is making a difference because it's allowing us to strike at the heart of the social, racial, and economic justice that the working class families in this district have been looking for, particularly on the federal level. The final thing I'll say is my background is as a gun violence survivor and as somebody in the gun violence prevention space. And when we have someone who can speak to the issues where Chicago is constantly used as a political punching bag for this issue, um, it is to say we need to organize on the front lines of the district, have that energy to organize on the front lines of the district and in those congressional chambers. Um, I'm uniting the national progressive space and I'm uniting the, the local progressive space in the district. And so um, I think the district in itself, with their money, their donations and their volunteer efforts are saying that it's time. Well, one of the uh, challenges that you're going to face uh, courses has to do uh, with congressional redistricting because you do not know the exact boundaries uh, that will exist in the seventh. Traditionally, the seventh congressional, as we've said many times when you've been on the show, Kina, uh, goes from the loop west uh, through the west side and into the suburbs. That's a traditional uh, district, and you're right, it broadened it a bit uh, just to uh, pick up the population it needs to fill it out. But we don't know what the exact boundaries will be because right now the Democrats haven't decided which map uh, they're going to settle on. Uh, so what kind of challenges does that uh, bring for you if you don't know exactly where you have to campaign uh, going forward? Well, we know this is a, a traditionally has been a um, West Side seat and it has included parts of the western suburbs that is not going to change um we we expect expect and anticipate an uptick in the latino population because that happened all throughout cook county and that has just been happening Twenty-six thousand um african-american families have left the austin neighborhood which is the second largest neighborhood in the city of chicago and it's the largest neighborhood once again in the district and so um what we saw in the first draft of the map was that we were pushed a little bit further east into the south side of Chicago, which included an addition, to, uh, an extension of Bronzeville, Northern Kenwood, and Hyde Park, which is Hyde Park is traditionally in Bobby Rush's district in Illinois one. And so this is going to continue to be a super majority minority district, plurality to African-American, and it is still a fairly young district. All of the, the loop and the financial district and the downtown portion is expected to stay in the map. And then all of the west side portion is anticipated to stay in the map. And so we look like we're in good shape. It looks very similar to what we uh, have seen in previous years. All right, I'm gonna yeah, ask you. Yeah, when I worked at WBBM TV, Danny Davis was the, the uh, representative for that area. Yeah. And even in the 43rd Ward, he's been my... Uh, representative at times. He's not now. I, don't, I forget who is, but he's not my congressman now. You have Quigley right now. Who? What neighborhood are you in? I'm in yeah. I mean, um, DePaul. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He You're on the north side. Yeah. yeah. Now, now that's an interesting point, Monroe, because in this proposed map that has come out, we did stretch a little bit further up and near north side. 
Yeah. And so they they did. We saw a decline in the white population, an incline in um, the Latino population, and a slight dip, but nothing too significant in the African American population, which which still counts it as a plurality um, African American district. Yeah. Uh, well, so it looks good. In other words, yeah. What we know is that the seat is winnable. That yeah. is what we know. While we know that the average age of the voting population that typically comes out and votes in these primaries are not 34 and 35, there are several portions of this district that have been disengaged and have not been courted in decades. And we're coming for those those neighborhoods. We're going door by door, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood. And to have the backing of a national progressive uh, uh, political action committee like Justice Democrats, who did take on William Lacey Clay and won, took on Dan Lipinski and won, took on um, Mike Capuano in Boston, Massachusetts 7 and won, I know that we can win in Illinois 7. All right, uh, let's get to that map. I told you I was going to ask you this question, so I'm going to ask it to you. I'm really irritated by uh, the reports that are coming out, but the Democrats have somehow or other drawn a map that instead of maximizing, Kina, maximizing their advantage in the state of Illinois is endangering it in some ways. Marie Newman, in particular, the boundaries are not favorable to her. She may have a tough uh, primary challenge from Lipinski having just defeated him. And uh, it doesn't really help Lauren Underwood, who is a rising star, in my humble opinion, in the Democratic Party. And I just get so frustrated, Keena Collins, with my beloved Democrats, because it's like they've never, Monroe's heard me on this subject so many times, they don't know how to play the game of politics. And, you know, Republicans would not have drawn a map that would have uh, left vulnerable two of their key members. Now, the map's not final, ladies and gentlemen. It's still, it's in the preliminary stages, but this is the first draft, if you will. It's got everybody muttering and mumbling. What's your response to the first draft uh, that you've seen of this map? Go ahead, Keith. I, I think it is um, very tone deaf. Um, Marie Newman not only expanded the electorate, but she engaged a portion of the electorate that was not engaged before, which is what we are trying to replicate at Illinois 7, which is younger voters. The same thing with Lauren Underwood, who added an additional CBC seat to the the Illinois delegation by winning, even though her district in itself is not uh, a majority or plurality African-American district. Um, And so... It once again speaks to the tone deafness and that we are not understanding the messaging um, of how we build real power. Now, Illinois in itself is, is really a purple state and a sea of red states. And so um, the, the light, likelihood and probability of a Republican um, coming in and taking one of those seats is very, very high. That is not um, uncharacteristic to happen. Um, but once again, you got to look at party leadership. Speaker Pelosi actually stumped in the Illinois 7 recently for Congressman Davis and did not, you know, focus on Marie Newman's district or Lauren Underwood. Once again, you know, they are scared of the boogeyman progressive space where we're missing the mark on what we need to be focused on in the midterm elections. And so um, I couldn't agree more with you. I think they need to right size and reset how they drew Marie Newman's district. It's not characteristic of what the district has traditionally looked like. Um, and, and it, and it will cause problems. 
You uh, mentioned that uh, Nancy Pelosi came to town for uh, to stump on behalf of Congressman Davis. Uh, if you were to defeat Congressman Davis, what would your uh, first thing you would say to Nancy Pelosi uh, when you met her in Washington? Let's get to work. Look, this is what black women do in the Democratic Party. Let's be just cut straight to the chase. We um, the Democrats love us until it's time to elect us. They got it wrong with Representative Presley. They got it wrong with Representative Cori Bush and the DCCC, quite frankly, got it wrong with Lauren Underwood because they didn't support her off bat like that. And yet these are people who are coming in and putting the energy into into the party that is needed. Look, my job is to represent the people in the Illinois 7th Congressional District. As you know, Ben, both of my parents are union workers. My dad is Teamster. My mom is SCIU. Neighborhoods like Austin, we don't have time to do the, the, the petty back and forth fighting because the grandmother on the south side of Chicago doesn't understand what progressive or socialist or any of that means. What she wants to know, are you a Democrat or a Republican? What are you going to do about my insulin going up? What are you going to do about my rent, you know, going up? And so um, I'm going to get to work with party leadership. And, you know, they've gotten it wrong before. They got it wrong this time. And we're going to get to work once I get elected. All right. I'm going to drag you into the ROM question. And uh, Monroe and I talk about this all the time, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Uh, I am vehemently opposed to him being uh, confirmed as ambassador to Japan. I think it's an insult that Biden would even nominate him. Monroe has a more agnostic view on this. Uh, I think his attitude is the farther away from Chicago Ram is, the better off it is. Did you, would you say that's an accurate assessment of where you are in this one, Monroe? Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, and incidentally, um, punch nine, Ram yeah. in it. What is he doing in that? He wouldn't know where to be found. He was um, working for the Washington campaign. Doing oh. You know, a, a, a minor role. But they, they show him working. In, I, I barely recognize him. A young Rahm Emanuel. Um, all right. Uh, so, Kina, we, who are you with on this one? Are you more uh, Monroe in terms of just get him out of Chicago, wherever, whatever it takes? Uh, or are you more me in what a disgrace this is? Go ahead. I mean, it's not either or. It's in both. What a disgrace. And the further away we need to get him from Chicago, is he needs to be in jail for obstruction of justice of what he did to, to Laquan McDonald. But what oftentimes people don't understand about why there's such outrage and ire behind this nomination is that people like to talk about the violence in the city of Chicago, but they don't want to talk about the decades Chicago spent defunding our schools, our mental health facilities, and basically failed status quo public policy led by failed status quo leaders like Rahm Emanuel. The violence, you want to know what violence looks like? It looks like abandoned buildings, vacant lots, and and mayors with surgical precision conducting the largest public school shutdown in American history. And that is Rahm's legacy. And so I think, once again, the Biden administration got this wrong. They said they would have black Americans back. They did not. This is going to hurt us in the midterms because it was already a struggle to get these young black and brown organizers out to vote in 2020. And here we are basically being slapped in the face. The litmus test is very simple. I listen to what you say and then I watch what you do. 
And if what you say and what you do are not aligning, then, you know, it's, it's hard to get engaged. And so from every front, this was an awful decision on, on, on part of the Biden administration. Monroe, do you agree with her, uh, with Kina on that point that it will hurt uh, the Democrats in 2022? Uh, I, no, I, I don't agree um, in, in, in this sense that Japan, what, what he's being given is not a big deal. You know, it's not a position of power. It's not, uh, he, he's not mayor anymore, which is very important, but he's out of that. Um, had, had Biden made him um, head of transportation, which is an important position, then that would have, I, I think that would have been worse. Japan, he's over there, and uh, actually our relationship with Japan is pretty good. So it's, it's just a window dressing position as I see it. Can I give a, offer a bit of pushback? Sure. So, number one, the people in Japan, their culture is around honor, number one. This yeah. is a dishonorable man who is getting the position. Number two, the Japanese marched with Black Lives Matter last summer for George Floyd. It was a global protest across the country. But I think, number three, the reason why I think this hurts is not solely about Rahm Emanuel. It's what it represents from this failed status quo leadership. It is not passing $15 minimum wage. It is not, it's Cori Bush having to sleep on the steps to extend the eviction moratorium. It is not clearing student loan debt. Everything that we ran on as yeah. Democrats, so that's a different thing that's, we have basically yeah. reneged on. Right. Now, that's on Biden. Yeah. I mean, it has nothing to do. And this is another example Trump. of that. Yeah. OK, except I, I don't I, I don't think it's an example because I don't think it's that important. He, he could have been made uh, just as easily been made. Um, ambassador to Sweden or something. Or something. I think the Republicans use this as a talking point. The Democrats do not care about black folks and people of color. Oh yeah, That is what Trump did to weaponize yeah. people and Trump right. expanded his electorate amongst black men and especially amongst Latino men where it was almost 40% of them yeah. voting with Donald Trump. Yeah. So like we can't act like 2020 was the highest voter turnout in the history of the country. But Trump expanded his electorate amongst white women, amongst suburbanites, amongst people of color. And so this it, what they did was created an echo chamber and they used what happened with the Democrats against themselves. Yeah. And so um, th this is another I example of that. Also, this is the final thing I'll say. Last summer, the AAPI community came out and they put out a list of demands because of the uptick in anti-Asian hate crimes yeah. that were going on. They yeah. wanted full representation. And as you remember, U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth, who is supporting Rahm Emanuel now, she threatened to withhold her vote if the Biden administration didn't include more Asian Americans in the administration. You couldn't find any other qualified Japanese Americans. This is hypocrisy at its height. We got on Trump because he put a lot of cronyism before actual qualification. And yeah. this is an example of cronyism over qualification. Well put, Keena Collins. I, uh, 
Uh, and I'll just say that uh, you were. Yeah, and, and, so. I, I'm, a, I'm pretty much agnostic about this. So, yeah. so I'm not going to be arguing. But I agree you. with you. Let's get yeah. them as far as way yeah. as possible. Uh, out of Chicago. Uh, I think Monroe is just too proud to concede on this one. Because <laughs> we're about a month ago, uh, uh, Kina, we had uh, the great Del Marie Cobb on the show. She's a regular on the show. And she was on with the same segment as Monroe. And they were debating Rahm Emanuel. And Adele Marie, a longtime political strategist from the south side of Chicago, who is, by the way, leading the charge against Rahm, or one of the leaders yep. of the charge against Rahm. He was at our press conference yesterday at the police yeah. board. Yeah. And uh, so she she made some of the same points you make, and, I, and I really, um, they really hit home with me. Uh, and, and, and that is that the great weapon, there's two weapons uh, that um, the Republicans use to defeat the Democrats when it comes to black voters. One is to make it more difficult for black people to vote, yep. which is what they're doing in Texas and Georgia yeah. and Pennsylvania, et cetera. And the second one that, that Del Marie talks about all the time is to spread the message that it really doesn't matter, mm. that no matter who you vote for, it's all the same. The Democrats will never come through for you. They just... They put you on their plantation and they ignore you and they just take your vote for granted. Yeah, you know what's, what's wrong with that argument, though, is the Republicans, uh, are not, they, uh, the vote for the voting rights um, bill is in the Senate right now. They're about to vote for it any minute now. Mm-hmm. And they're going to vote against it. I mean, they have so many anti-black things that, that, that they're not going to have these talking points at all this time. Well, no, but the point is, is that. Uh, the, just, what are the Democrats doing? Yeah, but the, the, exactly. So, like, the reason Hillary Clinton lost Wisconsin, or one of the reasons, is that black turnout fell uh, throughout the state, particularly in Milwaukee. And the, the attitude was, like, Trump says, you live in hell. What is voting for Democrats got you? And he, in Monroe, you're absolutely right. Not only is he not going to do anything for black people, he's going to be a negative force. Right. But. When you look at the Democrats put up a guy who buried evidence of a murder, I still, I mean, in addition to closing all the schools and the mental health clinics, it's like, what do you stand for, Democrats? Do you follow what? That that's what I struggle with on this one, where I agree with. I mean. All I have to say is, Del Marie Cobb is a walking political brain. Number one. But I, I would advise people in the country to hashtag listen to black women because we are the strongest voting bloc in the country. And we don't just go to the polls. We bring people with us to the polls. Uh, so uh, we're possibly the best, you're best educated voting bloc. Yeah, we're, co- we're educated voter base. That's the thing. Yeah. We're constantly listening to and getting the temperature. And you know why? Because a lot of the times in many in corporate boardrooms or schools or whatever, black women are the fixers for a lot of these problems. And we're seeing up and we, we get hit the hardest when we try to push back um, because we know how detrimental this public policy is um, and it's from a generational standpoint. And so when we're waving the flag and saying, this is not smart, you should probably listen. Because yeah. <laughs> we're going to vote. We will be the ones that definitely go out and yeah. vote. Yeah, no, I, I got you. My, my argument is that it's being the ambassador to Japan is not a big deal one way or the other. 
You know, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic about it. If it was an important job, then I would be against it. And something that would impact us, um, then I would be against it. But not, I don't care. It's not that I, I'm going, well, we really need Rom in Japan to fix something <laughs> or do something. Well, I, I care because he should not have an international platform. And to okay, whether it was Emmett Till, Trayvon Martin, or Laquan McDonald, I think we are in a crystallizing moment in the Black Lives Matter movement after the George Floyd murder, and we should be capitalizing off of that. They still, how did, how is it that Ron will be appointed as in a in an international position before they pass the George Floyd Policing Act? I mean, we haven't even eliminated chokeholds federally. We haven't yeah. even eliminated these systemic forms of racism um, yeah. and no. the criminal injustice system and so right. how is it that he is being rewarded so not about the position it is about the accolade and the recognition um from the highest office of the land yeah there's absolutely no accountability of the right. role uh he played absolutely no and i do believe there should be accountability but that's how it goes with chicago he's here. not there anymore ben. that's the accountability that's and that's the, that's the most important thing is that he could not run for mayor again. So he he got his comeuppance as far as I'm concerned. Because that's what he wanted to use that that, that that position as mayor to be uh, someday become the first Jewish president. And that's not gonna happen. Are we sure? Because yeah. he's he's surely being brought back into this space and uh reemerged. And also I think what is notable that people keep glossing over is the thirteen million dollars he has gotten in the last year alone. He enriched himself after this this cover up. And so, you know, this is capitalism at its finest that does not work for working class people racism at its finest that does not work for working class and, and black and brown folks in this country and and it's once again just a, the upholding and the protection of police state sanctioned vi- violence alright I'm going to uh, switch topics a little bit here uh, and talk you mentioned that you're from Austin uh, the community of Austin on the far west side of Chicago. Uh, and uh, we've talked about it. I told you this, Kina. Uh, it's, we talked about this a lot. Uh, the shootings that occurred in Austin, I forget when it was. I've lost track of time. About a month ago, I want to say, in broad daylight. And uh, it turned into a war of words between uh, Mayor Lori. Actually, really, Lori Lightfoot. And I, I, I really hesitate to drag Kim Fox into this, State's Attorney Kim Fox, into this because Lori Lightfoot was the one who went on the attack. So it really wasn't a war of words from, it implies both of them going at it, but um, uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, blamed Kim Fox that uh, nobody was charged uh, in, uh, with the shootings. And... Um, Kim Fox responded was, I didn't have the evidence to charge someone. I can't charge somebody unless I have evidence. You just want to round people up and just start throwing them into jail even if you have no charges against them. Uh, yeah, yeah, my position, yeah, my position on that is there's enough black men in Cook County Jail already. <laughs> we don't have to work, work at putting more in there. We, 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 we just throw them in. Yeah, so, right. uh, Keena Collins, you say that's your... Um, home neighborhood, Austin. Uh, that's your community. Uh, that'll be a key part of your district. What's your sort of general take uh, on this situation? Uh, 
Well, first off, I think that the people who are in leadership are once again not understanding the root of how the violence is creating itself now because it has changed dramatically. I grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s and my uncle actually was a four corner hustler and their gang is the faction, their factions are into it right now. And so the violence in itself, first of all, is cyclical. It has always been, but it's starting on the internet. It's starting in the music. It's starting on social media. And that's the first thing is that they're not even getting to the root causes of where this is starting. Secondly, um, before Mayor Lightfoot could really point her finger at anybody, you know, I have to point to the moral compass of the city of Chicago, which is the city budget. Chicago Police Department received $1.8 billion um, in their police budget, and then she added an additional $283 million in COVID relief money to the Chicago Police Department. Where is the return on this money that we have shelled out as taxpayers? And my just final thoughts about this is that the people who are losing are the residents on the west side and south side who are watching these children be gunned down. I have never seen this many babies being shot. Uh, the young lady, Kiara Cole from Michelle Clark, was just murdered um, from the, the girls basketball team. And so the reason why I bring up the city budget and the money is because this issue of violence is a multi-billion dollar problem. And I sat on President Biden and Vice President Harris's transition team for gun violence prevention, believe it or not, uh, before I made my announcement this time. And they asked me, what do you do about the gun violence in Chicago? Well, the, the opposite of that is violence prevention. We need to, you, you know what violence prevention is? Housing, healthcare, building bringing manufacturing jobs back, actually striking at the root causes. And that's going to take some time. But immediately what we need to be doing is accountability needs to be taken on all the leaders from the aldermen to the state attorney's office to the mayor's office. But I, I do find it rich that she immediately pointed to state's attorney Kim Fox when you got to figure out the mayor's office isn't doing everything in their power to strike at the root causes of the violence, because I don't think that they even understand what these young people, um, why this is going on and where it's coming from. And so that's my initial take. But people on the West side are afraid right now. Um, they know, you know, that these shooters will come back. People are afraid to step forward and speak to the police out of fear of retaliation because the relationship is so breached. You got the superintendent fighting with the mayor's office and the FOP union president fighting with the detectives not working with Kim Fox. We're losing. That's how people feel on the West Side. Right. We're losing. We want everybody to do their damn job. That's what right. we would want them to do. Right, I agree. The way I look at it is if you're a young black man, on the west side or the south side, you got to worry about getting shot by the, the police right. and the bad guys. That's right. That's right. The average age of shooters right now is between 18 to 29. That's the same as homicide victims. And then that's not even counting the carjackings that are happening with firearms. And so this is uh, going to what what is happening in my frustration with the mayor's office and what's happening in city council is that they are not investing in prevention 
they are investing in reaction. And so it is costing us more, not just in dollars, but in life, you know, um, in our yeah. communities. Yeah. If we continue to invest in the react reactive uh, ideas on how we tackle this, we're just going to see more young people perishing um, in the, in this gun violence. And so I want everyone to get their heads out of there. You know what? And to really start striking at the root causes of this. I heard somebody say that, um, and they they apologetically said it, but they said we should bring back midnight basketball because uh, that would give some of the kids something to do. Do you think that's a, a minor step? Obviously, that's not going to solve the problem. Well, yeah, we need to bring thing. back we need to bring back the structure of the nosy neighbor for sure. Yeah. You know, my 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 grandparents, when they moved from the South to South Austin, that was in like the 1970s, 60s. Um, they were one of the first black families on the block and um, they created a block club. We don't even have those anymore. But we do know that um, statistically, as more people are out and they know their neighbors, they communicate better on these issues and will come up with mechanisms and systems to um, figure out how to combat combat this violence that's happening. Um, I think neighborhood walks need to be happening. I think there there's a ton of things that could be going on, um, but, but we do need to just get started. And um, this was what I was going to say. My critique of Mayor Lightfoot, you know, that was, you used the example Monroe of basketball. When COVID-19 happened, they went into every park and took down the basketball rims. Why would you do that? When the story started coming out about the carjackings, people thought it was a ring of an, like an illegal ring for the carjackings that were happening. No, these teenagers are stealing the cars and they're joyriding and yeah. then they're abandoning the cars. Yeah. So what does that indicate to you? They don't have anything else to do. Right. So I, we are young people slip through the cracks in the pandemic. Yeah, and I grew up in Gary, Indiana, and my next door neighbor was a, as a teenager was a car thief because there wasn't enough to do it, Gary. So he he was stealing cars when he was fourteen. And joyriding. Yeah, and joyriding. That's what he was doing. We we went to see the first James Bond movie together, <laughs> and we walked downtown to see it. And then and from where I lived to downtown was probably a two mile walk or something. You know, when you're a kid, that's not a big deal. Right. And then we're on the way back home and he says, he looks at a car, he says, there's this car, we can steal it and ride home. They don't have your fingerprints. And, you know, I said to him, there's a reason they don't have that fingerprints. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they're not gonna get them, they're not gonna get them either. <laughs> right, but I mean, Go ahead, Ben. Go no, ahead. but I, Monroe, I, I do want to follow up on what you said about the midnight basketball because I don't sneer at it. And I'd love to get Keena's thoughts on this. And it all is coming. I'm, I almost can't even get the words out because I have so many uh, feelings coming through at the same time, Keena Collins and Monroe. But it's like when Rom closed those 50 schools, mm. that was an opportunity lost. And mm. I, I know there were people at the time saying things, and nobody listened to them because they were lefties, but they were saying things like, open the schools, keep the schools open, community centers, around the clock, from morning to night, you could have all kinds of classes. 
before school, after school. You can have uh, and not an organized basketball, Monroe. Not just like, okay, we're going to open up the gym and let everybody run in. But you hire somebody from the community who knows the people. Like Keena Collins uh, was saying that she know, knows the people in Austin. So they know all the characters. They say, okay, we have rules in this gym. We're going to abide by the rules in the gym. We're going to respect each other. You know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. You're going to have to pay somebody. Oh, the city of Chicago hates paying salaries of workers, but they love giving out contracts to developers. Yeah. And I just like when Monroe said that about midnight basketball, it, it, it really I'm with them. I'm with you, Monroe. I do believe you should expand. You could have theater. You could have uh, art classes. You could have music classes. You could have science classes. Something whatever. constructive for them to do. Yeah. But what do we do in Chicago? We close 50 freaking schools and we pound ourselves in the back and say, oh, we save money, which is probably not even true. Keith. No, it wasn't. It wasn't true. There was a study that came out that we actually did not save money. Um, and I could send that to you, Ben. Um, yes, I'm glad you added that last caveat, which is I would go further. Our kids need to be learning how to code for technology. They need to be brought into a green economy. We need to reclaim some of these vacant lots and abandoned buildings where we need to hold these banks accountable and tax them for not beautifying and keeping up these buildings and just letting them sit there and rot. Children know when you invest in them and when you do not. And if you are walking past a boarded up school, that sends a message that your education is not important. They also had no plan to cross these kids across gang lines when they shut these schools down. Now, here's two important points about the school closures. We brought that up earlier, right? And we said, what are the average age of these carjackers and these shooters? They are teenagers, right? The the school closures happened a decade ago. Next year will be a decade. That means they were three, four, five, six, and seven when when that happened. The early part of their education, which was the, the, the fundamental development. The final thing I'll say is as a gun violence prevention advocate and somebody who has written this policy around this, we know that between the time of 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. is when these shootings occur. So that's why you have to get young people engaged in an extracurricular activity so that they are not either in the way of fire uh, a firearm or they're not doing the shooting themselves. Yeah. And so you have the time frame of when shootings happen, but then you also have how public policy and elections have consequences of who we put in these offices. That was nearly a decade ago, and now we're seeing shootings and carjackings go through the roof. Yeah. No, the seeds were planted. Uh, and uh, and now this is what we're having. Yeah, I know. And I, the I, only mayor that I recognized at that time, may she rest in power, was Karen Lewis. And Karen Lewis was the one, um, as you know, was a good friend of yours, Ben Jaroski. She was the one talking about the, the impact and was trying to paint this picture of what would happen to the city of Chicago had we not had a plan in place, but first of all, you shouldn't be shutting public schools down to begin with. Um, but the, you know, the charter schools came in and gobbled up, you know, the, it, it, our public school system ate itself alive. And so, you know, um, I, I really want to amplify and lift up Karen Lewis because she was at the forefront um, of that fight 
10 years ago. Yeah, she was. And I, I started the show by talking about how one of the first things Rom did after he got elected was sit Karen Lewis down and tell her, <laughs> you're going to tell your members that I'm firing them, I'm privatizing schools, and they're going to like it. And Karen Lewis stood up to him. And yet it was a damn shame, uh, obviously, on many levels, uh, that my old friend, uh, Karen Lewis, got sick when she did, because I do believe she would have defeated him oh, in 2000. She would have. As, yeah. as we would say in Chicago, she would have dog walked him <laughs> <laughs> in the election. That would have yeah. not, not been a, a, a pretty thing for him. Yeah. But, you know, it... Yeah, the progressive space catches a lot of flack and we only talk about price tags when it comes to not, you know, not when we're over militarizing our communities or, you know, investing in new police academies, but when we're talking about the investment in environment, education and healthcare, And I think that we we have to look at ourselves and, and start to scrutinize that moral compass, which is the city budget. All right. Uh before we lose, uh, have to end the show, I definitely want to ask Monroe something. And Kenya, I'm uh, more than welcome to uh, stick around and, and participate in this part of the conversation, even though it took, well, we're going to talk about things that took place before you were born. Uh, but uh, Monroe is a, sort of the star, not really, Harold Washington is the star, of a documentary that I have not seen yet, but I'm really... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, dying to see it. Punch Nine. It's a documentary about the great uh, Mayor Harold Washington, as everybody knows, the greatest mayor the city of Chicago ever had. In fact, my line is, Monroe, if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore of mayors, and you know, Mount Rushmore, there's four figures on Mount Rushmore, so you have to come up with four. There would only be one figure on our Mount Rushmore, because we only have one mayor worth putting on Mount Rushmore, and his name is Harold Washington. Right. Also, what about Gene Sawyer? I'm like, well, the man didn't even get elected, so I don't know if he could go on Mount Rushmore, but he's better than the other two that came after him. I'll give you that, Monroe. Um so talk a little bit about Punch Nine, the doc, Joe Winston's documentary about uh, Harold Washington. You got to see it. I haven't seen it yet. I'm Like I said, I'm really uh, dying to see it. Talk a little bit about it, Monroe. It, 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 it's, it's, it's very good. It's, 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 it's very good. And what, what's interesting about it is that by it's an hour and 45 minutes. So it's, mm. so it's a, a, a fairly sizable documentary. And by the time he gets to the end of it. His his position is that Harold Washington's election uh, is responsible for a lot of these black mayors throughout the country now because they saw that Harold could do it. They saw how Harold operated, and um, so he is a template for for black politicians, particularly mayors throughout America. Now there are a lot of them. And another another point they make is that um, he, and, and which is true, is that because he integrated City Hall, it's never been the same since. I mean, no nobody can have a City Hall with all white people like they they had with Dale Daly and Byrne. Um and well, they had tokens in it, but that was it, and that. Um, Harold is directly traceable mm. to Obama's presidency. Mm -hmm. I have to agree with that. And particularly 
around the introduction of women in municipal politics in the city yeah. of Chicago. Yeah. Before Harold Washington, there were no women. You couldn't imagine a woman running streets and sanitation. And, you know, the, the truck drivers and those who do heavy machinery. But also, I think when we think about like a younger generation of black politicos coming up in, in Chicago, I do think of the Jackie Grimshaws and the Laura Washingtons and, you know, people who really was basically it reminds us that none of this stuff that we're talking about is new, that it's been happening for a really long time and that this these are intergenerational fights. Um, but I would I have to agree with you about that direct line from Harold Washington to Barack Obama, because Chicago is kind of. We're just a politics kind of town. Everything from the nonprofits to the churches to the to the city council. Yeah, Obama said he moved here because of Harold Washington. He, you know, he, he has said that. And they show in the movie. I mean, yeah, in the, in, in the movie, the documentary, they show him as a, uh, a kid right out of college. They have video uh, footage of it where he's a kid and he's he's he's, he's working um, in the campaign already. Who, Barack Obama? Yes. He wasn't even in Chicago. He was Harold an organizer was. when mm-hmm. Harold became mayor, correct? Yeah. After right. he moved to Chicago after uh uh Harold yeah, yeah. But he yeah, but he was he but Harold after after Harold, he didn't get Harold elected, but he was working uh um, okay. yeah. There's a photo of him kind of looming in the background at right. an event with Harold Washington. Right, and people always talk about the Alinsky model, how like if his organizing, he wasn't the leader at that point, but he was an, an organizer. In the background, yeah, yeah. Now they they show him in in the video, and uh, I think as some, if I remember, it was live video, but it may have been a photograph. But I did the, that photograph that you're talking about is in the documentary. I've always been most interested, if I could ask Monroe Ben, I'm always, I think the stars of the story of Harold Washington is always the people, I'm always interested in the how it happened. The getting them there is less interesting to me because the real friction came, well, well, them getting in the position or being in the position is less interesting versus the coming and having the intuition of picking, it was something very special about picking him out of a group of people, and then the consensus of black folks in Chicago, and how that was a wave that brought in all the other groups and demographics in the city of Chicago. And so, you know, I'd like to hear your perspective on what it was like at that point in time, and and the, just how how special that was. Right. Well, see, I've I've. I, I modestly say that I I was there and I was a part of it. You know, I didn't single-handedly do anything, but for example, um, I wrote a, a, a piece for the Tribune, op-ed piece, predicting that the first mayor of Chicago, I mean, the next mayor of Chicago would be black. And the two people I named, because they were the two bi- whose names were being bandied about the most, was Harold Washington and Roland Burris. And so those are the two I said, it's going to be one of those two. And um, 
I knew as a Tribune reporter that there were meetings going on. Once Byrne put those white women on the school board, that 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 was what set it off. Triggered it, right? Yeah, that's that's what set it off. And there were meetings going on on the west side of town and on the south side of town with people discussing running a black person for mayor. I mean, all these different uh, activist groups. And and I was interviewing people because I caught wind of this. And I talked to um, community people and, and uh, political people on the west side. They said, well, uh, we, we, we're going to get a black person. We don't know what those Negroes on the south side are doing. Then I, I mean, that sounds to, about right. Right, exactly. <laughs> then I, and then I talked to people on the south side, and they were saying, well, we got to get this done, but who knows what those Negroes, Negroes on the west side are going to do. We always been like that. Duh, you all got the same conversation going. So, <laughs> well, Monroe, real quickly, I'm sorry, Ben, I'm taking over. I'm Go like, ahead, it's Keita Allen show. Go ahead, Keita. But that is interesting, and here's why: because of the timing of that, Harold Washington ascending into the the mayoral position or as a mayoral candidate, we're talking in the '80s coming off the decade of the Dr. King riots on the West side, the assassination of Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton senior, you know what I mean? So when you talk, you know, like that, and it's always like that, the South side and the West side, we're cousins, but we always fighting (laughs) each other. Right. But politically and socially, I've always felt that the atmosphere was different on the west side and south side, given the political context and the history. After the King riots, the west side never got repaired. No. It was never repaired. No. Um, and then, of course, you know, the heartbreaking assassination and murder of, of, of Fred Hampton, who was just his powerful leader, young black leader. Right. Um, on the west side. And so do you think... Do you think the synergy was just the same across the board, or do you think one side was more aggressive of pushing forth a black candidate than the other side? I want the T. <laughs> Who was really pushing forth? Yeah, yeah. Not not everybody was. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't a contest in that sense. They were everybody. Um, Slim Coleman. You do you know who Slim Coleman is? Slim yeah. Coleman was this white community organizer. Who's now a reverend? He's he's a, the reverend that was keeping the um, the Hispanic woman that they were trying to deport. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's Slim Coleman. But at this is time he's a community organizer, and he talked them into putting voter registration booths in front of um, welfare offices. And so there was one on the um, um, on 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 the south side that I, I went to do a story for the Tribune. And I'm interviewing, one guy I interviewed was in his 80s and had never voted in his life. And he was upset. He said the reason he was registering to vote is because he wanted to get um, uh, that Jim Thompson out of office. Thompson wasn't even running. But he did that's how much he knew about politics. But he knew that, that he wanted to get some white man out of office and put a black person in office. Yeah. And 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 um one person after the other, as they were registering to vote, 
said those who are a little more knowledgeable said they wanted to get, put a black person in in the city hall, get rid of Jane Byrne, because they felt so betrayed by her for good reason. Because we put her in office, and then she immediately runs to yeah. evil cabal. Yeah, because she didn't have a base. <laughs> but to tie everything together. Yes. Going back to our Rom conversation. <laughs> uh, is this you have to stand for something mm. to get people to come out to vote yeah and Harold Washington did never ran away by the, he evolved from a machine politician a machine Democrat to be a lefty so he appealed to people like me yeah but just an outspoken black man yeah who was going to stand up for black people and well, he, was a, he, 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 he was a lefty in the making. I mean, he was a closet lefty. Even he was a lefty, he was, machine, I, he was a statesman. He, yeah. he, was, he was a, and so was Jesse Jackson. And I, this is what, Keena, you and I had this conversation before we went on the air, but when people tell me that black people are conservative, I always go, well, that's funny. The two most popular politicians in my lifetime in Chicago who were black were Harold Washington and Jesse Jackson. And they're both lefties. But they're black men. And the messaging was coming out of the mouths of black men. And so, I'll put the third one on the list that you've already mentioned, who is a black woman, who is every bit as left as me. And her name was Karen Jennings Lewis. So I'm just sick and tired of people telling me how conservative <laughs> black people are. Well, no, what I was but, but let me just go back to my point. My point is, is that if Harold didn't stand for something, if he didn't represent something real, yeah. substantive, I'm not certain, Monroe, that you would have had thousands and thousands of people voting for the first time. You, you know what I mean? I mean, they already tried that with Jane Byrne and she betrayed them. Oh my God, you're absolutely right, Monroe. Remember, and Monroe and I are old enough to remember this. When the blizzard hit in '79 in Melanic, they right. made the trains. They, they, the trains wouldn't stop on the south side because they wanted to get the trains downtown right. to get the north side service, and that was part of the reason that black people voted against wow. Melanic for Burn. And then Burn, as you said, Monroe cut a deal with Verdoliak and Burke and put the white ladies, the racists, on the school board, and it's like. But there was, but, but Harold Washington represented something. I'm just saying that if if you're just if you don't stand for anything, okay. it's hard to fire people. A, a couple of things have been Harold Washington went to Roosevelt University, and, and Roosevelt was sort of a leftist mm-hmm. uh, center. In fact, it was that. I mean, they had, they had communists back in the days when communists were communists, uh, and not just being called names. Um, and so he was exposed to that, but he but he was an intellectual. I mean, he read everything. Yeah. He, he was reading all the time, so he had that background. But but what when people talk about blacks being conservative, yes, they're in church and they have these Christian things. But the thing that makes radicalizes us time generation after generation and time and time again is racism. When I mean, nothing, nothing will make you anti-police more than being dogged out by a cop just simply because you're black. 
and every black man, I mean, Obama, Obama has, has had that experience. Um, um, yeah, I'm blinking on his name. Uh, the the uh, Henry Louis Gates, the, the yeah. professor at Harvard. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. How did you know what he was Because he's right. We can we could tell you all the stories. Mm-hmm. You you told to go to school, be do this, do that, and he was a Harvard professor. You don't forget something like that. He was a Harvard professor, and they arrested him at his house. Yeah, right. For trying to break into his house. His house. <laughs> But, but Keena, it's just amazing that you like saw in his head the one name he was searching. I can read your mind. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that that's true. Um, what I would like to see, and I'm glad that we're talking about Punch Nine, is more of an acceptance of this younger generation of young black politicos trying to break through. Because I feel that the ground has been laid and, yeah. and the path was blazed. And we know the politics is changing, you know, in Cook County, across the state of Illinois, across the country. And so um, that legacy, you know, should be brought forward. And so yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I think it's happening. You know, and the thing is, I've known Bobby and Danny since I covered City Hall in the in in the early 80s when Harold was was first elected and they were both aldermen and you know and I liked them both and um um Tiama Romero was my my secretary before she became uh uh Danny's so that's I know I've known her uh but and don't tell anybody. <laughs> but I, I think it's time for a change. <laughs> don't, don't tell them I said that. <laughs> don't tell them you said it. You just said it. On the radio. call so this is over. They're, right. They're, they're, they're my friends, and I have a great deal of respect for them. But um, at some point, you need some fresh blood. You know, I, I, I've been speaking to reporters about that, and one unique story about our particular race is that comparable to other progressives who are running in different um, districts across the country is that um, I've been in Illinois 7 for five generations, my family. Yeah. And Congressman Davis has been my congressman since I was a child. Yeah. And so when people have asked me, why, why would you primary a progressive Democrat? I said, y'all don't know the history of Illinois 7. Congressman Davis challenged Cardis Collins, the first black woman who yeah. sat in the seat, not once, but twice. Yeah, she, she asked me to be her chief of staff at one point. And I, I said, no, I don't, I don't think I want to go to it, it worked out well for Illinois yeah. 7 that he challenged twice. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, so, no, and, and Bob, Bob, Bobby took out Charles Hayes for the right. same reason. You know, but going back to, to your district, um, I had a, a, a talk with... Um, Danny one day, where he was talking about how uh, how difficult it was for blacks to get into politics on the west side because the mafia ran it. Yeah, and, and they were shooting uh, they were shooting real bullets, <laughs> and real candidates, and uh, Claude Claude Lewis was that his name? The alderman uh, Ben the alderman Lewis. That ben Lewis. Ben Lewis. Ben Lewis. Yeah, Ben Lewis. It is a journalist named called Claude. Yeah, Ben Lewis. He he ended up dead mm-hmm. being in politics on the West Side. So uh, 
you know, Danny paid his dues. Yeah. You know, so, but, but the thing is, Danny literally turned 80 last month. I know. Yeah. You know, and so. But I think also something could be said that we haven't had a woman in the seat since the 70s and 60s of Miss uh, Representative Collins, you know, God rest her soul. Um, And when we think about the corridor that I'm in, my city councilman, my state rep, my Cook County commissioner, and my congressman are all men. But when we look at who's lifting the weight, it is the women, and they do feel neglected. And in light of Congressman Davis defending R. Kelly, um, you know, in, in the <laughs> in this case that he's just been convicted of of child rape, I think there's a real concern in this Me Too era about how intersectional and intentional are we being in our public policy and the vision that we could have for extremely progressive districts like the Illinois 7. Yeah. All right. Very good. Keena Collins, uh, Monroe Anderson, we have to go for today. Uh, if you want to hear more Keena Collins, uh, I'm going to let this cat out of the bag. You can watch Marianne Ahern tonight. Uh, Marianne Ahern came uh, and interviewed Keena Collins earlier today. So it's a Keena Collins day in the city of Chicago today. Uh, and you'll also be, I think there's going to be an anti-ROM rally. Tonight. Yeah, so it's actually Laquan Day. Today is the anniversary of Laquan's murder. And uh, some of the original organizers from the Black Friday shutdown and from the protests will be at Federal Plaza at 6 p.m. tonight. Very good. All right, Keena Collins, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Monroe Anderson, every Wednesday on the Ben Jarowski Show, my dear friend Monroe Anderson. He's not really the star of Punch Nine, but he's in it so much. Uh, they're thinking of renaming it the Monroe Anderson Story. Uh, Where can they watch that? Where can we watch it? You can, that's the problem. Yeah. No, they're, they're trying to get a distributor. It was yeah. at the International Film Festival for two nights. Oh. Yeah. Yesterday. And our, and our mutual friend, Sergio Mims, the co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, comes on the show all the time. I thought I was going to watch it at a Black Harvest Film Festival, but now I'm not. I don't know. I got to talk to Sergio if they are going to have it. At yeah, the he's, he's trying to get it, but they're, but they um, they're negotiating. They're trying to get, get a, um, a Hulu or, or something. Oh, good. Like that. Yeah, to, to Hulu. Yeah, our our. Netflix or whatever. Well, Netflix. They they count. They talk to Netflix, and Netflix doesn't want anything more than a hundred minutes, and theirs is an hour and forty five. So it's over the limit. So Netflix is is um, not interested. I, I got the impression. Yeah, you know, it's, it's but but they will. It, it is good. It's very good. They will get picked up someplace. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it will. It will get picked up. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it, even for other reasons than the fact that Monroe's in it. All, uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. I, 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 I have maybe 10 appearances in it, but each one is for one sentence. I, see. <laughs> I say, well, I say, <laughs> Harold was a good mayor. Quick shut the Laura Washington. Uh, <laughs> all right, very good. Monroe Anderson, Keena Collins, thank, thank you, you very much. 
appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, and I also want to thank the man, myth, the legend, the pride of Gerald Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. That'd be uh, our great producer. And as Monroe and Keena will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. <laughs> take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.